Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Getting to Know You. I am your host, Jen Dawson, Feature's Associate Director of Education, and I am delighted to be joined by Dr. Maria Teresa Garcia Romero. She's an attending physician and assistant professor at the National Institute of Pediatrics of Mexico, and she's a longtime PEDRA member, and I am so excited to be chatting with you today. Thank you, Jen. Yeah, I think um, I'm honored to be invited to this interview, and I'm even more excited than you, if that's possible. <laughs> I Hi, everybody. <laughs> I think you were one of the first people I met at the PIDRA meeting that I went to. My first meeting in 2016, we had like an early morning roundtable with just a small group of people talking about membership benefits. And I think I remember you being there. And I think you were probably one of the first people that I actually like met in person. So I, I think that was maybe my first meeting. I'm not sure if my first meeting may have been 2015 or 2016, but um, yeah, I, I do remember you as well. <laughs> Let's talk about how you came to be a pediatric dermatologist. So I was doing my dermatology residency and um, I had many things interest me really. I was very interested in immunodermatology. At some point I was interested in dermatopathology as well. But then I had the fortune to to start helping Dr. Carola Duran McKinster, who is a very well-known pediatric dermatologist in our community. And so in Mexico uh, we Usually, even though we work at public institutions, we also work on the side on at private offices. So I went a couple of times per week to help her out at her private office. And that's really when I started to really enjoy uh, the kind of work that she did. So seeing children and um, being, the, I think the, the thing that I admired the most that made me want to be just like that was her being so sure about pediatric dermatology conditions. So she would be super confident telling a patient that the child had a mastocytoma and it would go away on, their, on its own and we didn't need to do anything, right? And that was for me was very impressive and I really admired it. So I decided I wanted to do the Pediatric Dermatology Fellowship to have that kind of confidence and to be able to manage my pediatric patients more, um, well, more confidently. I have a sister who lives in Toronto. Mm -hmm. And so with Carola's help, I did a rotation at the hospital for sick children back in... 2010, I think. And I loved it. So mm -hmm. I thought, you know, I, I have to do the fellowship here. I really want to come here. And so I went there and I was supposed to stay there for a year. But um, as you know, Elena Pope, who is a great researcher, became my mentor in a project that we were doing related to um, measuring activity of morphia using thermography. So I ended up staying one more year to finish that project. And um, so that was the, that's the story. You know, after that, I was completely convinced that I really wanted to work at an academic institution, see children and do pediatric dermatology research. 
I love that you have been inspired sort of by mentors along each step. But I want to go back a little bit to um, what you had said um, about research. So let's talk about your research interests. Okay, so my research interests, I think the earliest were um, related to morphia. As I said, uh, that particular project that I did while I was a fellow at SeaKids, I would say was very relevant to me because it was the first time that I thought of an idea and designed a project with Elena's support and help, raised funds and, you know, really had this experience from the beginning of having a question and converting it into a protocol that actually happened and results that eventually were analyzed and published. When I came back to Mexico and I I was um, hired here at this institution, I sort of left the morphia interest for a while, just while I you know, became acquainted with how things work here and sort of started finding my niche. And as many things happen by coincidence, I started an EV clinic here. And so EV has become one of my research interests because, you know, I, I lead this clinic and I, I care for these patients and I need to be active doing research um, for them. Uh, once I joined PIDRA, the first study that I that I joined was a collaborative study to map morphia led by Yvonne Chu. So I, I would say that was the re-entrance to the morphia research. And basically at the same time, I started a project about atopic dermatitis and microbiome with a um, co-researcher from MIT that I had met while I was doing an MPH after my fellowship in Toronto, in Boston. And so that started, you know, a, 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 a new field for me, which was microbiome, staph aureus, biofilm, antibiotic resistance of staph aureus in atopic dermatitis. And so those three, I would say, are my main um, research interests. I forgot one. So I, I've been involved here with the Vascular Anomalies Clinic with Carola Duran, who started it a few years back. And so we're now doing research also um, about vascular anomalies. So I would say those four areas are my main research lines. Can you talk a little bit about the differences between doing research in Canada versus Mexico, and then talk about like some of maybe the challenges of even trying to collaborate on projects that um, are based in the U.S., but you're contributing to? Um, that's an excellent question. So I think um, the main difference is resources. Um, I remember when I was doing this project with Elena while a fellow at SickKids, we had this great research assistant, Hannah, who helped me with all the you know, legal IRB uh, document signing. I mean, I, I really didn't have to worry about anything because she was on top of it. She also was there when I was taking my patient's um, information, um, temperature, etc. And she was the one who built the database and then gave me the database. So 
she was actually pretty great. You know, I, I didn't have to worry about anything. Uh, when I came back to Mexico and I wanted to start collaborating with Yvonne on her Mapping Morphia project, to be honest, there were many things that I, I, I found it very hard to navigate uh, because some of the legal figures and the documents that are very standard in US research are different here, you know, and maybe they, it's not that they don't exist, but they take a different form or they may be integrated with something else. So for example, uh, once I had the IRB approved for that study, it was pretty much um, obvious that there was some kind of understanding between sharing the data with uh, Yvonne's institution. So there wasn't the, you know, the idea of a DUA. So I needed to have it signed because Yvonne's institution needed one. And it took me months to get it signed because, you know, I was sent to talk to the institutional legal department and they were like, well, but, you know, why is there going to be a patent coming out of this? And they just wouldn't understand. Like, they're very used to signing contracts for pharma protocols and trials, but they couldn't really understand why I needed to sign something where we weren't even testing anything on children. Mm. Anyway, I finally, you know, after talking to multiple people, I finally figured out and got it signed. And from then on, it's been much easier to navigate all these uh, like legal and bureaucratic things that are different between countries. So that, that would be the main difference number two. And uh, also, well, another type of resources, which is economic resources. So it's quite difficult to get funding for projects here. So for me, um, PIDRA has been fundamental. Um, there's government, there's one government agency that would be sort of the equivalent to the NIH, but the funding is like, I don't know, a million times lower, you know, and especially for dermatology, Mm. It's very complicated to get something. Um, so that would be the other. So I have to rely on small grants that I can get through my institution. Well, PIDRA, um, there's a foundation for dermatology here that has some, some support for research. But I would say those are the main differences and the main obstacles that I found to doing research here. I would like to emphasize, emphasize that not everything is obstacles. So um, I find that patients here in Mexico are very, very open to participate. And they, I've never had a patient tell me that they don't want to participate in a study. Patients are super excited and super collaborative. So I, I remember in Toronto, a lot of patients were very hesitant and they had all these mm. questions and they were kind of um, suspicious or, and, and it's fine, you know, patients should be like that. But I, I, I find that it's been easier to include patients in protocols here in Mexico because patients are usually very, very open to participate and help. And, you know, they, they will say, if it's going to help others, 
you know, I mean, and I don't care if you have to take a biopsy or take blood or whatever, patients are really very supportive of research. That's very interesting that the the patient differences between the two countries, I never thought of that side of it. I always, my mind always goes straight to the bureaucratic red tape that's challenging for everybody. But then when you're collaborating across nations, it's even more challenging. I When I was a resident, I remember I was doing this study about, it was my research thesis. So we had to have a, a research project to graduate. And we were looking at, at HLE alleles of patients with onychomycosis. These were adults, right? And uh, so we would see a patient with onychomycosis, invite this patient to, to, um, to participate in the study. We needed to draw blood. Mm-hmm. But patients would bring their family members. They would be like, hey, I brought my parents and my cousins. And they would bring like, people to be included in the protocol. So that's just an example of how patients would be excited to to um, be participating in a project, even though it meant drawing blood. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, what kind of advice do you have for maybe as I would say like, especially for international trainees, you have such a a unique history and how you've been trained and where you've been trained. So what kind of advice do you have for others who might be in your shoes? So I, I think I'm going to say two things. So one is something that, um, Dr. John Harris told me, uh, I think one or two years back, I, I was his mentee at this AAD academic um, leadership program. And one of my concerns was, you know, I, I don't have a lot of resources to do the kind of research that I would like to do. You know, I don't, I just can't. And his advice was, you need to, you know, go and think about this for a few weeks, but think about what you do have and your strengths, right? So you lead an EB clinic and you have these patients and you have a team of people who are building expertise. You uh, participate in a vascular anomalies clinic and it's the, it's the only vascular anomalies clinic in our country. So it's really a strength. Um, you see patients with atopic dermatitis, you see patients with morphia, try to build a clinic of morphia. So you will have your patients the same day, and then you can have them together for, you know, maybe protocols, but maybe just to build this expertise in seeing different types of morphia and being able to teach to to your uh, trainees what you know about morphia when you have a group of patients with morphia together. So that was excellent advice, I think, from him. And it's really helped me decide which things I'm not going to try to um, work on or even collaborate with because I just don't have the bandwidth or the, um, I just don't have the things that I would need to do those. So that's one. And the other one comes from myself. I think um, sometimes 
we have these, so you know, imposter syndrome. <laughs> I think people from countries that are non-US have just this just imposter syndrome when dealing with people from the US. And, and we tend to think that, you know, everything over there is better because you guys have more resources and, you know, science, just science. English is a universal scientific language, right? So <laughs> everything else is like lower tier. And I would say not necessarily. We have tons of patients. You know, every pediatric dermatologist from countries in Latin America that I've talked to, uh, Colombia, Argentina, Brazil, Chile, they see a lot of patients. We see a lot of patients and we have, I think the problem is we might not have them as or there and we don't maybe have electronic medical um, EMR, electronic medical records mm -hmm. or ways to have those patients on a database. But I think it's a matter of starting to organize your patients and starting to publish and, and say what we do and what we have. And this is particularly important in this era of target therapies and biologics and all these super expensive medications for everything, when a huge part of our world will never be able to afford those treatments. Mm -hmm. So everything that we do in lower resource settings, you know, we don't have, well, now we do have um, um, dupilumab. Mm -hmm. But uh, one year ago, we didn't have it. So, right. you know, we've learned of ways to treat very severe AD in other, uh, using other treatments that I see rich countries are now seldom using because they have the newer and possibly better treatments. But what I want to say is that we have this experience with um, low resources and adapting treatments to our patients because our patients cannot afford the other treatments or we don't even have them available in our countries. And we should share that because it's very valuable for everywhere in the world. And I would say even the US, there's places in the US where medicine is very different and patients don't have access to anything. And so that would be my advice. I think that's an awesome advice. And I love how your advice builds on the advice that you received from Dr. Harris all those years ago, and really taking advantage of the resources and the expertise that you have. So I think that's great advice. So before we end our chat, um, is there anything about yourself you'd like to share with the network, a hidden talent, a hobby, so I was I was saying that um, I've had a lot of hobbies during my life, but I I don't have hobbies now that I have a baby. <laughs> but I've always enjoyed playing piano, and I've always enjoyed doing handcrafts like sewing and knitting and baking. And what I'm uh, about to start doing now, uh, since I figure it's something I can do with my daughter, you know, we can sing and we can dance is learning to play the ukulele. Oh, lovely. Oh, that's so wonderful. Thank you so much, Jen.
Yeah, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Garcia Romero. This has been lovely getting to know you. And I look forward to seeing you again sometime soon, but at least at the next PEDRA meeting for sure. For sure. I'll be there. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much to Dr. Garcia Romero for visiting with me today. I hope you enjoyed getting to know her and her research interests. You can learn more at pedraresearch.org. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Pedra Research. And if you want to be interviewed for getting to know you, send me an email at info at pedraresearch.org. Thanks so much for watching. We'll see you next time.